Welcome to the Gospel Changes Everything podcast, where together we'll explore how Jesus transforms us every day. Hey gang, welcome to today's episode of the Gospel Changes Everything podcast. As many of you know, I'm a pastor at Spring Run Presbyterian Church, and occasionally they let me preach. So today's episode is a sermon out of the book of Judges, specifically Judges chapter 4. We've been doing a series in Judges, so enjoy. The words of the Apostle Peter from 1 Peter 1, he says this, Concerning this salvation, he's preaching, Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace, that is, those prophets of the Old Testament, who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours, searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things in which angels long to look. So the Old Testament was written not just for the people of its time, but it was written for you. Those words were written for you. You and I need to see the story of God's redeeming love. The Bible is one continuous Story. We need to understand that. It's not just a compilation of books and letters and biographies. There is a cohesive structure. There's a common thread that starts in Genesis 1 and it goes all the way to Revelation 22. You simply cannot read the Old Testament without reading the New Testament, nor can you read the New Testament without reading the Old Testament. And so this is why we preach through both. This is why we preach from the the Old Testament and the New Testament. And this is why your personal Bible study, which you should be studying the Bible personally in your own life, should include both. Okay? All Scripture, Paul says, is breathed out by God and teaches us about His Son Jesus. The entire Old Testament points forward to the coming of the Redeemer who will save us from our sins. This Redeemer is revealed as Jesus, God in the flesh in the New Testament, right? But here's the key question that people ask me. How were people in the Old Testament saved? How were people in the Old Testament saved? And the answer is simple. I'm going to look for that uh, chart here in just a second, Christy. They were saved by faith in the coming of the Messiah, Jesus. The Old Testament believers were looking forward in faith, and we look back in faith. But it's our faith in Jesus that's central. So just a quick chart, just to show you visually. Jesus is the object of our faith. And the Old Testament believers were looking forward to Christ's coming. And the prophecies, we all can read very clearly. It's crystal clear. All the prophecies were pointing towards Jesus, and those came true. And the New Testament, in the New Testament, we would consider ourselves part of that, right? Or post-New Testament. We're looking back in faith to Jesus. But Jesus is the central focus of our faith, because it was He who was sent by God to be God in the flesh, who lived a perfect life, who died on the cross, was raised from the dead, 
now sits and rules at the right hand of God, who's given us his Holy Spirit to come into our lives and to change us forever. He's, he's turned dead people into live people. He's turned you, he's brought you back from, from the dead. He's literally raised you from the dead, if you believe in Jesus, and given you a, a new heart and a new purpose and new desires to live life according to his will. So that's how people in the Old Testament were saved, just like we are saved. So let's read this episode in Judges chapter 4. I always encourage you guys to bring your Bibles to church. Uh, I know some of them are digital now, which is fine. Uh, but it's good for you to see for yourself what we're reading, um, to, to, to understand for yourself what we're going over. Uh, maybe you're going to go home later today or this week, and you're going to read back through this story, this amazing, amazing story of, of how God continues in his process to redeem his people in this particular episode in the history of redemption. So again, it is a whole chapter I'm going to read, so follow along. Try to pay attention, if you will, but it's, it's, a, it's a good story. And remember that this book of Judges, if, if you want to remember, the key word for Judges is cycles. Okay, And the cycles are this, that uh, the people have... Um, Times that are really good, and then they fall into evil and disobedience to the Lord and start worshiping other gods. God raises up a judge. They repent, and this cycle starts over and over again. Okay, And so that's what we're in the middle of. Chapter 4. And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord after Ehud died. If you missed last week's sermon, go back and listen to it. It was, it was really good. And the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. The commander of his army was Sisera, who lived in Harasheth, Begoyim. Then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help, for he had 900 chariots of iron And he oppressed the people of Israel cruelly for 20 years. Now Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lipidoth, was judging Israel at the time. She used to sit under the palm of Deborah between Ramoth and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the people of Israel came up to her for judgment. She sent and summoned Barak, the son of Abinoam, From Kadesh Naphtali, and said to him, Has not the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded you? Go, gather your men at Mount Tabor, taking ten thousand from the people of Naphtali and the people of Zebulun. And I will draw out Sisera, the general of Jabin's army, to meet you by the river Kishon with his chariots and his troops, and I will give him into your hand. Barak said to her, If you will go with me, I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. And she said, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, the road on which you are going will not lead to your glory, for the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. Then Deborah arose and went with Barak to Kadesh. And Barak called out Zebulun and Naphtali to Kadesh. And ten thousand men went up at his heels And Deborah went up with him. Now Heber the Kenite had separated from the Kenites, the descendants of Hobab, 
the father-in-law of Moses, and had pinched, pit, pitched his tent as far away as the oak in Zananim, which is near Kadesh. When Sisera was told that Barak, the son of Abinoam, had gone up to Mount Tabor, Sisera called out all his chariots, 900 chariots of iron, and all the men who were with him, from Harasheth Haganoam to the river Kishon. And Deborah said to Barak, Up! For this is the day in which the Lord has given Sisera into your hand. Does not the Lord go out before you? So Barak went down from Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. And the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and all his army before Barak by the edge of the sword. And Sisera got down from his chariot and fled away on foot. And Barak pursued the chariots and the army to Harasheth Hagoyim. And all the army of Sisera fell by the edge of the sword. Not a man was left. But Sisera fled away on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber, the Kenite. For there was peace between Jabin, the king of Hazor, and the house of Heber, the Kenite. And Jael came out to meet Sisera and said to him, Turn aside, my lord. Turn aside to me. Do not be afraid. So he turned aside to her into the tent, and she covered him with a rug. And he said to her, Please give me a little water to drink, for I am thirsty. So she opened a skin of milk and gave him a drink and covered him. And he said to her, Stand at the opening of the tent, and if anyone comes and asks you, Is anyone here? Say no. But Jael, the wife of Heber, took a tent peg and took a hammer in her hand. Then she went softly to him and drove the peg into his temple until it went down into the ground while he was lying fast asleep from weariness. So he died. And behold, as Barak was pursuing Sisera, Jael went out to meet him and said to him, Come, and I will show you the man whom you are seeking. So he went into her tent, and there lay Sisera dead with the tent peg in his temple. So on that day God subdued Jabin, the king of Canaan, before the people of Israel. And the hand of the people of Israel pressed harder and harder against Jabin, the king of Canaan, until they destroyed Jabin, king of Canaan. Let's pray. Father, we come before you humbled at this wild story found in your holy scriptures. A story of war and battle, of bloodshed, of courage, of killing of your redemption. Please, Lord, this day, help us to understand what it means to us, how we can learn from it and continue to serve you, the only God of the universe. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Wow! I mean, come on! Right? This is a crazy story. Israel is being oppressed, cruelly oppressed by the Canaanite king Jabin. And Jabin's got this awesome general named Sisera. He's got 900 chariots, okay? Think about tanks versus foot soldiers. Israel just has foot soldiers. And they are called to go and fight against Sisera. But the Lord says, I will deliver them into your hand. And that is exactly what happens. 
I don't want to spoil it for you about exactly how the battle, how he won, how God won this battle and everything. You'll have to read chapter 5 and, and do some, some study there to figure out exactly how it took place. But it's pretty awesome. But this particular episode shows that God continues to be a covenant keeper. See, here's the thing. When we read a story like this, when I read a story like this, I'm like, okay, Lord, give me the, the big picture. Help me see uh, the big picture of what's going on here before I get into the details. And the big picture is this, that God has his people, the nation of Israel. He promised to Abraham, right? His covenant to Abraham was, I will make you into a great nation and you will bless all the nations of the world. And so there's going to have to be this continual line of the nation of Israel to continue on. Well, at this point, there is a danger of this, of this nation being not just subdued and cruelly uh, oppressed, but being wiped out. And God will not allow that to happen. He is going to keep His covenant. And He will spare at least a remnant of His people. He shows grace and mercy to the Israelites. They don't deserve it, nor have they earned it. God is saving His people and redeeming them from the hands of their enemies so that the nation that He has chosen will continue in its posterity, ultimately leading to the birth of Jesus the Messiah. Jesus who will build His church and even the gates of hell will not be able to prevail against it. So while God is doing a variety of things in this passage, He takes one key action. One key action. I know you're used to hearing me give three-point sermons, but today, thank the Lord, there's just one key point. And it's simply this. God raises up ordinary people to do extraordinary things. God raises up ordinary people to do extraordinary things. And in this particular passage, there are 10,003 ordinary people that God uses to accomplish his extraordinary task. Deborah, Barak, Jael, and the 10,000 soldiers from the tribes of Naphtali and Zebulun. Now here's the thing. All of these people started in the same place that you and I started. The birth canal. Right? They all started there. And over their lifetime, God was molding and shaping them and planned to use them in very specific ways. Let's take a look at the people from the story real quick. Deborah was judge over Israel and a prophetess. What does that mean? That means that she was the main leader of Israel. God had raised her up to be the main leader of Israel. She spoke God's word to the people. She led the Israelites out of their oppression in this story, out of their oppression of Jabin, king of Canaan, and she was courageous and she was obedient to the Lord. The Lord had said that he would deliver them, the Israelites, out of the hand of the Canaanites. And she was obedient to carry out that command. So we have Deborah, we have Barak, who was the top military leader for Israel. Unfortunately, he was weak-willed, and he was afraid of the Canaanite army, and initially did not follow the commands of the Lord. Barak had some character issues. 
Deborah has to step in and make him go and fight. And even then, he said he would only go if Deborah came with him. But again, Barak was just an ordinary person. And even though he, he stuttered and, and everything in the beginning, he ended up going along with things and fighting the battle. And then we have Jael, this other woman. This was the woman who actually killed Sisera, who was, remember, general of the Canaanite army. She was supposedly, if you, if you, I don't know if you're able to listen to the story, because I know it's, there's a lot going on here, uh, but, but um, she was supposedly an ally of Jabin, king of, Caven, uh, king of Canaan. But she turns out to be on the Israelite side, and she coerces uh, Sisera into her tent, he falls asleep because he's exhausted. Bam, she drives a tent peg into his head, literally nailing him to the ground. And then we have 10,000 soldiers from the tribes of Naphtali and Zebulun. And they had the courage to go and fight as the Lord had commanded them. Again, remember the courage it would take. For these men, these foot soldiers, to go up against 900 chariots. Tremendous amount of courage. Ordinary men and women used by God to accomplish an extraordinary task. A battle that they could not win on their own. The Lord had to intervene. And here's the thing. We all start out as ordinary people. We all start out from the same place. The birth canal, right? And now, So this was made uh, very laboriously... Uh, evident to me the two Sundays ago when my daughter gave birth to our grandson, okay? And we got to see, Molly and I got to be there and, and, and see the whole process, and it was awesome. But as you hold a baby, a newborn baby, you begin to think, this is where everybody starts. Everyone that we think is a hero uh, in the world, everyone that we think has courage beyond what we could ever muster, that we all start in the same place. Just an ordinary baby. Fragile, dependent on other people. But we are made in the image of God. And God brings us into this world and He starts to shape us and he starts to mold us, and he endows us with certain gifts and talents and special abilities. But here's the thing. As we grow, as we grow up, God wants us to participate in what he's doing. Okay? What he's doing in our lives. He wants us to see him as our creator. He wants us to see him as our true father. God wants us to realize and acknowledge our dependence upon Him because we have been sinful and rebellion and rebellious. And then God wants us to repent and turn in faith to Jesus. And God has sent Jesus to turn us around, not just to make us good people, but to make us new people. And God wants to accomplish and carry out His will in our lives. And God puts His Holy Spirit into our lives in order to to sustain us, to empower us, 
to give us the energy and encouragement as we seek to live out His will and accomplish His mission. And here's another big question we have to ask ourselves because I don't think we ponder it enough. Do you understand what God's mission really is? Have you thought about that lately? What God's mission really is? Well, let me tell you, the mission of God is world domination. It is world domination. He wants to dominate not just this world, but every other world in our entire universe. And if for some reason we find out that there are other universes out there, he's going to dominate all of those. Do you understand that? God is not willing to settle for second place or to sit alongside some other gods, lowercase g, and just to to, to stand by the roadside and be something simple in your life that you kind of go to whenever you want to. God has planned world universal domination. there's, There's no less than that. He wants all of the world. He wants all of you. He wants all of your mind. He wants all of your heart. He wants all of your soul. He wants every fiber in your being. He doesn't want one little part of your life. He doesn't want one day of your life. He doesn't want one hour of your life. He wants it 24-7. Every day, all day, God wants to dominate you, and His plan is to dominate the entire world. He will not settle for anything less. You see, we live in our own little worlds. We live in our own little kingdoms. We live in our own little midlotopia. And while this zip code is part of God's plan for world domination. He's got bigger plans. And here, I want you to understand that you are part of that plan. If you thought for a second that you were insignificant, that you were just an ordinary person that that, 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 that just sort of lives for the next 80 to 90 years and then you die and, and, and nothing really happens, I'm telling you, it doesn't have to be that way. You are part of God's bigger plans for world domination. The extraordinary things that you do here and now will extend beyond what you could ever imagine. Let's just think about how this church was started. Now, many of you in this room were not here when this church started, but we started with about 50 people in a home about a quarter mile away from here in Woodlake. Andrew was our founding and is our founding church planter. And we all know Andrew to be a risk taker. He's courageous. He's hardworking. He's evangelistic. He's been a tremendous leader for this congregation. However, Andrew started out in some knuckleheaded middle school class at some point. He started out as a baby, just an ordinary person. But as he grew, God used him and molded him and gifted him to the man he is today. Where this church, we've gone from 50 people to over 500 people. That is extraordinary of what God has done. And there were other people involved in the first years of Spring Run. The Orcuts, the Morins, the McCloys, the Germains, the Stapletons, the Kozlowskis, the Mays, the Huffs, the Fletchers, the Broughtons, the Tomans, and I'm sure I missed many more, okay? 
but you were ordinary people. God used you to do extraordinary things. Think about the things that God has done in this church over the last 12 years. Marriages have been reconciled. People have been saved, literally saved from from the pit of hell because you were willing to share the gospel with them. Kids have been raised in Christian homes. Schools have been impacted. Countries have been impacted. You've led community groups. You've been a part of leading the nursery, children's worship, worship teams, Bible studies, youth group, going on mission trips. And many of you were not in the spotlight of leadership. But God still used you in extraordinary ways to serve in the shadows as you visited people in the hospital. As you took care of people's kids when they needed a break. As you loved people through their pain and suffering. As you faithfully discipled the next generation. Was there anyone here who taught Sunday school for Andrew May? Anybody? Come on. Ah, there we go. How about Clara Conrad, Molly Fletcher, or Lindsay Kozlowski? Anybody? Work with them? Some people? Raise your hand. Ah, Sue, yes. Marcy, good. Okay. Do you know the impact that you've had on those kids? And how they are continuing to impact other people, literally hundreds of other people. Andrew is now in Spain as a missionary. Imagine that. Someone that you taught in Sunday school is now a missionary in Spain, a different country, a different part of the world. Fulfilling the Great Commission. Clara and Lindsay and Molly are now at JMU volunteering for Young Life, reaching out to kids who would have no clue what church is, nor would they ever want to go to church, and they're loving them with the gospel because they desperately need it. But here's what will happen. Here is what will happen. The people that they lead to Christ will go on to lead other people to Christ. The cycles of family dysfunction will be broken. Relationships will be restored and reconciled. Churches will grow and flourish with these new believers that these people are reaching out to, which will in turn be sent out to make more disciples. And on and on and on and on it goes. That's how we've gotten to where we are. And it's going to continue on. These kids will go on to be nurses and teachers and leaders in their communities and churches. Again, we're talking about world domination. This is not just some small little mission that we're on. God has much bigger plans. God takes ordinary people like you and me to do extraordinary things. Some of you are thinking, me? 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 I can't even get out of bed in the morning some days. Well, maybe for you, getting out of bed is an extraordinary thing. Or, maybe you are the one that goes over to your friend's house that cannot get out of bed, and you help them get out of bed, and you take them for a walk, and on that walk you continue to encourage them with the unceasing love of Jesus. How about that for extraordinary? Because God has so filled your heart and your life to overflowing with His love and mercy and grace that you can't but give it away. You have to give it away. 
You are raising the next generation of students, of moms and dads who will be used by God to do extraordinary things. They will love and lead people to Jesus. They will plant more churches. They will serve the poor. They will reach out to the lost and lonely. They will fight for justice. They will serve the oppressed. They will lead people in worship. They will start neighborhood Bible studies. They will be the next Sunday school teachers, the next pastors and youth workers. They will train their children to follow Christ. They will continue in God's endeavor to dominate the world. But here's the thing. In order to be used by God, you have to get in the game. You have to participate. You can't just sit in the bleachers. God doesn't want bench warmers. God wants people willing to take risks. People willing to get off the couch, away from the TV and the computer, to go out and be with people. To influence them, to love them, to be a blessing to them. Now, next week, Andrew will look at Judges 5. And I don't want to give a huge spoiler, but just in, in, a, in a quick sneak preview, Judges 5 is a song about this battle and about what happened. That Barak and Deborah sing this song. They write this song about it. And it starts out this way. That the leaders took lead, took the lead in Israel, that the people offered themselves willingly, bless the Lord. You see, the nation of Israel at this particular time needed leaders who would actually get out there and lead and not sit around or do nothing or allow their nation to continue to be cruelly oppressed. Deborah and Barak, with some, you know, push, got up and led the nation into battle. Into battle! Do you understand what they were asked to do? You know, God pretty much asks us to, to walk next door to our neighbor's house, to take them a meal, to love them, to share his word with them. They were asked to go into battle. They had swords. They were going to kill people or be killed. Do you understand that? This was not a peace summit at Camp David. This was a bloody battle where people fought and died. When it says the people offered themselves willingly. They are talking about the 10,000 soldiers. They didn't need unwilling soldiers. They don't fight very well. But a willing soldier who understands what is at stake is a soldier you want fighting for you. And then later in chapter 5, this song starts to chastise the other tribes who did not participate in the fighting and in the battle. It says this, Gilead stayed beyond the Jordan. Dan stayed with the ships. Asher sat still at the coast of the sea while Zebulun risked their lives to the death and Naphtali on the heights of the battlefield. What? I mean, this is telling us that some of the Israelites sat on the bench. They stayed home instead of fighting. They refused. 
to get out into the battle with their brothers. How sad. How sad is that? Here's why. Several reasons, but one, they completely missed out on seeing God rout the armies of Sisera and rout these 900 chariots. They completely missed out on seeing this miracle. It was an absolutely amazing way in which God won this battle for them. Let me close with this. We all want to live extraordinary lives, don't we? We want lives that that have meaning and purpose. We hear people say that all the time, and I I think that is what we all really want. I, I know some of you like your comfortable, insulated life that keeps you from the big, scary world, but deep down, I really believe that you want to make a difference. Deep down, you want to be used by God. You know, if you lay in bed long enough, you get bed sores. That's no fun. If you sit in those metal bleachers long enough, your butt gets sore. Who wants that? Deep down, you all want to get in the game, and deep down, you want to know what it feels like to get hit by a linebacker. Right? I mean, you want to know, what does that feel like? What does it feel like to be in the game, to, to feel the pain of it maybe sometimes? But seriously, you really want to know what it feels like to experience the transforming power of God in your life. That's what you really want to know. You really want to see God at work. That's what you really want. You want to watch Him bring dead people back to life. You really want to be a part of watching Him restore marriages, reconcile relationships, free people from addictions, bring justice to the oppressed. But in order to see God at work, you have to get in the game. And here's the thing. If you're not going to get in the game, if you're not in the game, you're being disobedient. It's simple as that. You are are rebelling against God. God said, go and make disciples of all nations. If you're not doing that, you're not doing what God's called you to do. You're just flat out disobeying God. And I do not want to be on that side. I want to get in the game. Let's make a commitment today to get off our comfortable lives and be used by God to accomplish extraordinary things that He wants to accomplish in His mission to dominate the world. Hey gang, Fletch here. I just want to let you know, if you don't know already, that I absolutely love to create and curate resources for those who are in ministry and for those who are simply just trying to follow Jesus. Now, in order for you to get those resources, you need to follow me on social media. Specifically, on social media, you can follow me on Instagram at brian.t.fletcher. That's brian.t.fletcher for Instagram. Or go and like the page, The Gospel Changes Everything on Facebook. That's The Gospel Changes Everything on Facebook. I would love to have you follow up with me. The biggest thing you need to do is sign up for my weekly newsletter. Every week, I send out either an inspirational video or a particular resource 
or a new devotional for the month, or just simply something that's going to encourage you in your walk with the Lord. I need you to do me a favor. Go to the website, gospelchange.com, that's gospelchange.com, scroll to the bottom, and on the right bottom part of the of the home page, you'll see a sign-up form. So just plug in your email, hit sign me up, and you'll start receiving those weekly emails. I promise you won't regret it. You're going to get some really great stuff, not just from me, but also from other gospel-centered creators. I really do want to make sure that you receive relevant, applicable, gospel-centered resources that you can use in your own walk with Christ and as you lead others toward Jesus. Hey, and I just want to say thanks so much for listening to the podcast. It means so much to me, and I really hope that you're encouraged in your walk with the Lord through it.